think I'm going to put this chart up for one last time. Because this is our last lesson on Genesis. <laughs> this is the outline of the book of Genesis according to Moses. Taking his um, method of, of uh, dividing up the chapters. And we're in the last one, chapter 10, which started in our chapter 37, the history of Jacob's family, um, which is mostly, actually, the history of who? Joseph. Yeah, mostly the history of Joseph. Um, and let's do a little bit of, let's put a map up here. Keep ourselves fresh on this, too. Um, There's the modern world. And we pointed out before that Iraq is is where, um, if you were going to go find Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was from, you'd have to go to Iraq. So it's just somewhere around here. Um, from there, his family moved to what is now Syria, uh, the city of Herod up there. And then... <coughs> Abraham moved down to what at the time I think was called Canaan, but now is, of course, Israel. And then uh, when they sold Joseph as a slave, where did he end up? Egypt. In Egypt, which was the, the, the world power of the day. And so there's the people are buying up all the goods, including slaves. And then we'll take a look at... Here's the way it looks on the ancient map. And in this case, you see the Egyptian kingdom extends all the way up here. Egypt controlled all this area. Now, sometimes it was a rather loose control, but that, that was more or less what, what was going on. Um, and then I'll probably turn, turn the projector off for a while, but this is the chart we're looking at. It's the, descendants of Abraham. And what what are the names in red? The one that's going to be the line of the, of the Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that's the line of the Messiah. Abraham was promised he knew all the nations of the earth would be blessed or all, every family of the earth would be blessed. Isaac had the same promise Jacob did. And in this morning's lesson, we'll see where it gets passed on to Jacob's fourth son, Judah. And we'll talk about why that was. How many sons did Jacob have in all? Twelve. Yeah. And what did they become? Twelve tribes. Yes. Okay, good. Now... We're going to look at my favorite story in the whole book. I really like the story of Joseph. Um, I, I'm, yeah, few people can can really reject a a story with as much passion as this one. It's really neat. Um, in last week's story, of course, we saw how J Joseph ended up in Egypt. The jealousy of his brothers. He was the favorite son of Jacob. And so they um, 
They sold him to Egypt and assumed they'd never see him again. Uh, he went from bad to worse. He went from being a slave to being what? Well, yeah, that was the slave part. Yeah, he got put in prison. That's yeah, that's what I say when he went from bad to worse. He started as a slave and went even worse in in, in prison. And then, wow, from there to be shot up to the second com- in command of of what was probably the biggest empire in the world at the time. Um, and he he had he certainly would have had more power than than our president has in ter- in in the power he had in his nation compared to the power our president has in our nation. Yeah, it was um, enough to really go to a person's head if he didn't have God with him. Um, and he he got put up to power just as what was happening. Uh, in the agricultural world of Egypt. Seven years there was going to be famine. Yeah, that's right. He got in just before the seven years of good. <laughs> However, the, those seven years were were intended to be used to prepare for the seven years of famine. And and he did. And so when the famine came, that Egypt was prepared for it, and he he's started selling grain to the people of Egypt as well as who else? Yeah, the people of the world basically. That it was The famine was not just in, in the locality of Egypt. It was all the way up in Canaan. I don't know how widespread it was but at least it covered uh, Jacob's family. So they hear Jacob hears that there's food in, in Egypt for people that have money and Apparently they have enough money, so um, he sends the family down there. Yeah, he sends how many brothers? Ten, Ten brothers to buy food. Um, how many were there in all? There was twelve. But of course Joseph was already there. <laughs> um, but that still leaves out one. Yeah, there was another spoiled one that was replacing Joseph, huh? <laughs> well, we don't know how spoiled he was, but we have our suspicions. Why? Why was Joseph the favorite? Yeah, Rachel was the favorite wife. In fact, when when Judah tells a story later on, and um, he quotes his dad, and and his dad says. You know that my wife bore me two sons. My wife, singular. These sons he's talking to, none of them are from that wife. Um, but I guess they grew up knowing that, you know, their mom wasn't the favorite. It was someone else. Uh, Rachel was the favorite. That's the one he worked seven years for and then didn't get. Um, and how many sons did Rachel have total? Two. How come she didn't have more than two? Yeah, she died giving birth to the second one. Yeah. Um, and 
that was, you know, Jacob, the love of Jacob's life was dead, and, and all he had left to remind him of her was two sons. One who was a teenager, 17 years old or so, and the other who was, you know, just born. And so he, he lavished all of his attention on Joseph until Joseph just disappeared, didn't come home, and they found his, they found his garment all bloodstained, so he assumed that he was dead, and so I'm sure all the attention then got placed on Benjamin. And you can see that here when he, he's not going to let Benjamin go. Now this has been years since then, but Benjamin would have been 20 years old or so at this point. Um, but he's still not going to send him. Too dangerous. You, know, you 10 guys, <laughs> you can go do the dangerous stuff. <laughs> well, they were of course full-grown adults. They were... Probably some of them were in their forties at this time. All the dreams came true that Joseph had. Yes, and Joseph understood it. Of course, the brothers didn't know that yet. Um, yeah, they hadn't appreciated him telling them those dreams. Um, so they went down to buy, and, and apparently the rule was that foreigners had to had to go to see the, the top guy to get permission to buy, and that was Joseph. And how come they didn't recognize Joseph? <laughs> Last time they saw Joseph, he didn't have a nice gold collar on his garments and all that. There's another reason. Yeah. Well, yeah, he he would have been a teenager when he got sold, so you know. Well, yeah, but the other thing is he wasn't speaking their language. He was speaking Egyptian, and that he had a translator. He didn't need the translator, but he wasn't going to tell them that. <clears throat> um, and so, yeah, they didn't, they didn't, had no clue that, who that was. He was just a, a mean Egyptian official. And so, but he recognized them immediately. And he has a plan. He doesn't, you know, Moses doesn't tell us what the plan is, but you see how it ends up, and it's pretty obvious that he's trying to find out whether these guys have changed. Are they still the same people they were when they sold him all those years ago? So he, he talks pretty rough to them. And then he puts them all in jail. Let them experience a little bit about what they did to him. <laughs> and they get out of jail and they're, he, ta- he takes them out to talk with them. And what are they talking to each other about? Their guilt feelings about what they've done to their brother. Yeah. Yeah, God's getting them back. Now that's been, you know, say in round numbers, it's been 20 years. How many times do you think they talked to each other about that in those 20 years? Well, maybe not at all. <laughs> We've got two different books. One person says they talked a lot, one person says not at all. <laughs> well, now yeah. they're under stress. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course the Bible doesn't say. I, I, I'll, I'll just give you my guess. I'm going to go with John. I think I don't think they talked at all about it. Um, I mean, you, you think about it in your own life. It, when you've done something that you really feel terrible about, that's not something you want to talk about. And practically every day of their lives, they're seeing their father mourn over the loss of his his son. And they know what he doesn't know, but what can they do to help him? If if they told him the truth, that's just going to make it worse. 
his son's still dead, but now it's because of them. Because, I mean, how, how could you possibly go trace a slave you sold into another country? So, yeah, I, they may never have talked about it at all, but here this, this terrible thing is happening to them, and they see how their brother felt. They're remembering how he begged for mercy when they were trying to sell him and they wouldn't listen. And now they're in the same shoes. And then while they're having the conversation, who speaks up about this? Reuben, what does he say? (laughs) Which may be the first time that Joseph ever knew that even one of the brothers had sided with him. Um, Now, where does Reuben stand in the age range? He's the oldest, yeah, and he tried and he tried to do the responsible thing and keep his brothers from doing this terrible deed. He was one that talked him into throwing him in the pit instead of just killing him outright. Um, but apparently, when he was gone, they got the idea. Well, hey, let's not let him die in the pit. Let's just sell him. And so he speaks up, and so then Joseph, he decides he's going to keep one of them behind as a hostage and send the rest of them back to the family. Which one does he keep behind? Now, where is he in the age range? He's number two. (laughs) So he's picking the guy that was most responsible that hadn't spoken up for him. (laughs) So, they went down ten, they go back nine. And um, what's their dad's reaction when he finds out that they got to send Benjamin the next time? Yeah, it it isn't gonna as far as he's concerned, it isn't gonna happen. What about poor Simeon in jail? I've lost two sons. (laughs) That's where it stands. (laughs) You know, and and I wonder what Simeon's thinking about in jail. He's in jail a lot longer than he knows how long it takes to get back a round trip, and it took a lot longer than that. (laughs) He's still in jail. No word. Well, Jacob. Yeah, I don't know whether he had. I don't know whether I had any suspicions that the brothers had anything to do with it, but he's just not going to take any more chances. And again, you think about what that does to a family. I mean, my guess is a lot of us have known families where they've lost they've lost a child, and you watch what the parents do with with another child that's left and the poor child is just smothered it, very often. And just The parent, they, they just can't imagine this thing happening to their child. They just do everything they can to protect this child. Um, and that's the way Benjamin was growing up. And, and the other, the rest of the family is looking on and just, you know, what a, what a messed up family. But finally, why does Jacob finally agree to send Benjamin? Yeah, they're they're going to starve, and um, who talks him into it finally? Judah. Yeah, what does Judah say? Okay, my two sons. You're you're mixing that up. There was someone else that said that. Reuben said that, and it, and Jacob didn't didn't go for it at all. <laughs> you know, when Reuben said, "Well, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back." Those two sons are Jacob's grandchildren. <laughs> what, what, what is it going to help him to kill his grandchildren if his favorite son doesn't come back? 
So Judah doesn't offer something crazy like that. What does Judah offer? Yeah. He offers himself. He just says, I will be to blame. If I don't bring him back, I will be to blame. And that's a much more reasonable offer than what Reuben was given. And it's the best Jacob's going to get. What can he do? I mean, the brothers are telling him, we are not going down unless we have Benjamin because the guy said we couldn't see his face unless we have him. So finally, he, 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 he comes up with a nice present for the man to try to make him happy. Yeah. Well, and um, Jacob is actually kind of smart here. If he hadn't gotten this promise from Judah, you know what would have happened to Benjamin? <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin would have been hanging out with Joseph, and all the other brothers would have come home. Because, you know, I mean, it paid, in other words, it paid off. Yeah, Ju- Judah was—he he kept his word. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Jacob, of course, doesn't know it, but but Jacob's attitude is in chapter forty-three, verse fourteen. He says, "As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved." He's basically saying, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'll just have to accept it. So um, they go down there, and <clears throat> what does Joseph invite them to do when they get there? Yeah, wow. I mean, what an honor to eat with the second in command of Egypt. Of course, they're pretty nervous because it's pretty weird things have been going on here. <clears throat> um, but he brings out Simeon. I can just imagine the conversation with some of you know, what took you guys so long? <laughs> Dad wouldn't let us go. <laughs> and Joseph sees his own full brother. These other guys are half-brothers. He sees his own full brother for the first time in, since he was maybe one year old. And um, they have this meal. And, and Joseph's getting kind of emotional when he sees his brother. He has to go out and wash his face he's been crying finally they, they they have the meal and does Joseph sit down at the table with them he's separate yeah how about the Egyptians do they eat with Joseph he's too high he's got too high a position the, the, the Egyptians are just I mean they might be noble people but they're peons compared to him well do they eat with Joseph's brothers yeah, they can't stand eating with shepherds. <laughs> so you got three, three separate groups here. But And I guess all the food is at Joseph's table. He sends over to the other table what he wants them to have. And who gets the most? <laughs> Benjamin gets five times as much as anyone else. Um, which I, I assume they didn't expect him to eat five times as much. But that was in that culture, that was understood as a way to honor someone. And so here are the brothers. They've they've been seeing Benjamin honored by their dad all these years to the to the point where he would let all of them starve to death rather than see anything happen to Benjamin. And now they're down in Egypt, and he's being treated favorably by this stranger. <laughs> what a spoiled brat! <laughs> and I, I think Joseph is trying to set this up like this. So. Finally, they finish the meal. They all, they all pack. You know, their donkeys are already loaded for them. And uh, the the picture I get is that these donkeys, it, it takes a while to load them up, so that you know you don't just kind of pop the trunk. Let me just check and make sure I've got everything. The, the, they're all loaded, and and you know, all you can do is go off and you know assume they they did 
they treated you right when they loaded them up with grain. And of course, in this case, there's a little bit extra. And what, what extra is there in these sacks? Yeah, everyone got his money back, and one of them got an extra silver cup. And who was that that got that? Yeah, Joseph, of course. He, he's, what, what he's trying to do is set up a situation as similar as he can to what, what it was when he himself got sold. He's really trying to find out. I mean, he's, he's heard the brothers bemoaning what they did, but he's trying to find out have they really changed. So he sends his steward off to um, go arrest Benjamin. And, I, and I, I'm pretty sure he gave the steward the, 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 um, uh, the, the instructions to bring back you know, one guy, and that's Benjamin, the youngest. But the brothers aren't going to let Benjamin go back by himself. They're all coming back. And in chapter 44, they appear before Joseph and... Um, they tell him, let me see. Um, verse 16, Judah said, um, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak and how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. Now, when Judah says you found out the iniquity, iniquity means sin. Well, what does Judah mean? Had they stolen the cup or had they stolen the money? No, I'm still thinking of how they treated the other ones. Yeah, yeah. And, and how, how often do things like that happen in our lives? I mean, someone mistreats you and your first thought is, I didn't deserve this. But sometimes what happens is similar enough to something that you think about in the past and you realize... Uh, maybe I did. <laughs> it's funny how God does that to us. And I think that's Judah's view too. Um, so they're all going to be slaves. But that's not what Joseph wanted. and It's not going to work for his plans to have it that way. No, no, no. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he should be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. <laughs> You, you guys are all innocent. I, I know, wouldn't say keep the guilty guy. And now you have one of the greatest speeches in the Bible, starting in verse uh, chapter 44, verse 18. And who is the one that gives this speech? Yeah, yeah Judah is the one. He, he made the promise to his dad. Now you remember, he was the one originally who got the idea to sell Joseph as a slave. I mean, it specifically says he was the one that you know, we saw those traders and said, hey, you know, why should we kill him? Let's sell him. What a changed guy he is. And, um, wow, I mean, you know, this was a very emotional speech for Joseph. I mean, it's emotional for people today that read it. It's just, you know, hard. This, this is the part in the movie, you know, where they start playing the really sad music and all. Um, because, wow, he just does such a marvelous job. He goes back and he carefully sets the scene telling the story about his dad and how, how, how much his dad loves his son and he's already lost the, the son's older brother. And you know, we we told you, you know, we couldn't bring the brother, and you said, but you have to, and, and this was very hard on him. And now, you know, if if we go back and he's not with us, our father will die, and it will we'll just be the cause of of our father's death. And so then, 
What appeal does he make? What, what favor does he ask of this ruler of Egypt? Swap places. Yeah. Um, let me be the slave and let him go back free. Now, understand, Joseph has set this all up so that it looked bad for Benjamin. I mean, Benjamin again is, being, is, is getting all the favors just like when he was at home. And how do they know that he didn't take the cup? Um, you know, a spoiled brat like that, you just never know. <laughs> but... Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how how he got in this situation. Judah does not, under any circumstances, want to lose this boy, and he's will. Judah is willing to be a slave for the rest of his life to save his brother, and also to save his father with grief. Yeah, to save his father with grief. Yeah. And I got to read you a quote. I should have had this set up in advance, but um, I thought this was a nice quote. Um, yeah, um, one of the authors I was reading quoted Martin Luther. Martin Luther has a commentary on this. And, and Luther said, What would I not give to be able to pray before the Lord as Judah here interceded for Benjamin? For it is a perfect model of prayer, nay, of the strong feeling which must underlie all prayer. And who is the one who has truly prayed that prayer? Jesus. Jesus is the one who has prayed that prayer. Judah asked to be a slave instead of his brother, and, and, but he didn't get taken up on the offer. Jesus came and asked to be in our place. Jesus is the one who descended from Judah too. Judah is the ancestor of, of that one. Yeah, John. I'm thinking for us as an example for us. Uh, Jesus came and He was perfect. Here we have a picture of Judah who was the, the one who instigated the set of events that broke yeah. his father's heart. Yeah. And now he's back again and he's willing to give himself to his father's heart. Now really, that's... That's sort of the point of features of our, our lives is that we have to grow to such a situation that we're prepared to give up what we might want. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, remember Paul's great prayer. He said he wished he could be cut off from Christ for the sake of his brethren, the Jews. Well, he was a Jew. And he had, he had once been like them. And he had been saved. And and he was willing to give up the ultimate because he loved them so much. Um, there have just been a few people in the Bible that have offered prayers to that to that limit. But I think Martin Luther was right. Um, truly, our prayers need to be selfless prayers, self-sacrificing prayers. Um, people. <clears throat> We're not going to save the world today unless unless we are willing to sacrifice ourselves. Well, Joseph hears that, and of course, Joseph can't go on any longer like this. He, <laughs> so he he orders all of his servants out, and he's by himself when he tells his brothers who he is. And of course, they're just delighted to learn that he's Joseph, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> 
they're <laughs> they are so dismayed. Wow. Because of course all they can imagine is, and you know, this is this guy now has the power to get us back. Um, but what he says is so interesting in verse seven. God sent me before you to preserve for your remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore it was not you who sent me here but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler of all the land of Egypt. If we can understand this, if we can understand the principle behind this, it would solve our problems of how we behave toward people around us that are doing us wrong. It would solve the problem. I mean, you understand that, that when someone does us wrong, we are under huge temptation to sin. I mean, that's, that's got to be one of the very most difficult times we have when someone does us wrong. And I don't think there's any of us who've ever been done wrong as much as Joseph has been done wrong by his brothers. But we've all, but we've all known, we know what it means to have someone do us wrong and, and we know how it feels and how strong the temptation is to say something or if we could, do something to hurt them back. But Joseph is saying, no, it wasn't you that did this, it was God. And you know, that is true every time. Anytime someone does something bad to me, anytime someone does something bad to you, it's God doing that. God, because nothing happens to us apart from God. Nothing. And if we could just understand that, wow, how it would change our outlook, how it would change our lives. Now, Joseph didn't see that at the time, I'm sure, when his brother was selling him. It took him many years. And probably only just right at this point he finally figured it out. But God has bigger plans in mind than just our comfort. Um, and there's times when for God to accomplish His big plans requires our discomfort, our hurt, our, our pain. Uh, and Joseph saw that. And, and he was not angry with his brothers because he saw that it was from God. Yeah, John. Uh, Joseph did have some real encouragement in his life, though. And he prospered to such an extent. Yeah, it does make it easier. <laughs> he wasn't saying this while he was still a slave. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and again, some of us in our lives, we can see later on, if we look back, we can see that what we thought was so bad at the time worked out to be very good. And of course, it's much easier at that, from that vantage point to say, yeah, this is, some, this is from God. Yeah. Anyone else? All right. Um, well, it was from God. And why did God want to do this? Yeah. Now, from Joseph's standpoint, it was to bring him down to Egypt to get away from the famine. But hey, you know, who's the one that brought the famine about? <laughs> like, like God needs, needs help from God? Why, I mean, God has a, bit, a much bigger reason than a famine to get them down to Egypt. What's His reason? He's got to make them into a nation. And it has to be a separate nation. We've already seen in the last few chapters the, the terrible danger that was coming upon these people from being in Canaan. Judah. You know, well, Judah himself, yeah. You know, we, we saw how he had married a woman of the world and, and his daughter-in-law was a woman of the world. And, and 
you know, the behavior was just go, going, you know, downhill fast. Um, and I'm sure it was happening with other brothers as well. They, they were getting to be too big a group to be able to stay separate in that land. But how is it going to help them in Egypt? They're shepherds. The Egyptians can't stand shepherds. There's not going to be a lot of intermingling between them. And so God's using that prejudice of the Egyptians for the good of His people. Yeah, Tracy. Brother, Judah's sons from Tamar is the lineage. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah, Judah was in... We put him in red and one of his sons, yes, through Tamar, that sin that she... Uh, contrived is going to produce the ancestor of Jesus. Yeah. So, I would have loved to have been there when those sons were telling Jacob the story. I would have especially liked to have been there when Jacob says, "Um, well, did he tell you how he's still alive? You know what happened? How did he get down there?" <laughs> My guess is that all the way on the way back, they were discussing with themselves how they're going to break this to their dad. Well, it'd be a lot easier to break it to him at least when Joseph's alive. Um, so Jacob practically faints on the spot when they tell him he's still alive and doesn't believe them. Well, but they have Joseph saying it's, it was a God's purpose, so maybe if their father is asking, you know, just say yes to Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but by this time Benjamin knows, and I bet you Benjamin's not going to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> oh. So finally, for one last time in the book, um, God appears to, to Jacob and tells him to go ahead down into Egypt. He'll make him into a great nation. And so Moses gives us a list of all the sons that are coming down there along with their, their sons. A big fan. In fact, how, much, how many does it total? 70 people. Yeah, that's a lot more than what Jacob started with when he went up there to pay to Aram. <laughs> but it's not a nation yet. And when they come back out of Egypt, there'll be a nation of 600,000 men on, on foot with their families. Um, so they come down there and um, Joseph brings his father to appear before Pharaoh. Then he brings some of his sons to appear before Pharaoh. And, and the, the goal with the sons is Tell him your shepherds so that he'll give us this land of Goshen here separate from the rest of the people. Tell him you're a disgusting person. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, so they get what exactly, it's exactly what Joseph wants. They get that separate area of Goshen, good pasture land for their, for their sheep. And then we've got the blessings here in these last future. In chapter 48, who does Jacob bless? Joseph's sons. And what are his two sons called? Manasseh and Ephraim. Yes. And you, you gave it in the right order. Manasseh was the older one. But he gave them the other order. <laughs> um, what? Yeah. yeah, it seems like that's a theme in, in this book of Genesis. We do have one first, though. This is the very first time in the Bible when we have laying on of hands. Did, did you notice that? Um, and, and the laying on was obviously part of this blessing. In fact, Jacob did something strange. What did he do when he laid on his hand? Yeah, he crossed them to where his right hand would be on the younger son's head and left hand on the older son's head. And Joseph understood what it meant. And he, 
You got it wrong, Dad, because the dad's blind, so he thinks it's because he's blind, but that's not it. He understands that Ephraim's going to become a greater tribe than Manasseh, and, and it, indeed it did. Um, really the, in the later history, the two biggest tribes and the most powerful were Ephraim and Judah. And, and when, the, when the nation split, those are the leading tribes of each nation. Um, so, Joseph's goal is not to have his sons grow up and become powerful Egyptians. His goal is they're going to be part of this family that's going to go back to the land of Canaan. He, Joseph is a man of faith. And then finally, in chapter 49, we, who does Jacob bless? That was in chapter 48. All the sons, that's right. In chapter 49, he blesses all of the sons. Um, do you notice how in your Bible... Chapter 49 is formatted a little bit differently than most of the rest of the book. Yeah, this is poetry. Now, this is not the first poetry we've had in the book. The first poetry, I believe, the first poetry in the book was by um, Cain's descendant, Lamech. You're right, you're right. Chapter 2, yeah, this is now bone of my own flesh. That was poetry, yes. So we've had poetry from, from the very beginning. Um, and we'll have, of course, we'll have a whole book of poetry later on. And actually, a lot of the prophets are, are for the most part, poetry. And I, we mentioned before, the Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme, which is fine since it wouldn't even rhyme in English anyway since it's a translation from the Hebrew. But it didn't rhyme in the Hebrew. And unlike English poetry, it, didn't, it generally did not even have a meter. You know, in English, you can have a poem that doesn't rhyme, but you have this, kind of the same number of beats per line. But they didn't do that in Hebrew. So you you know you think well if it doesn't rhyme and it doesn't have a meter why is it poetry? It, they have a poetry that comes across even when it's translated into English and it's a it's a poetry of thought. Look look in verse three and and you have these parallel phrases. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength. Now you see two different statements, but they're saying much the same thing. What he means by firstborn is well the might his might and the beginning of his strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. And then we've got two more phrases that are again parallel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. That's, the, that's Hebrew poetry. You have the parallelism. And, and even when you read it in English, you recognize this guy's not talking ordinary here. <laughs> it, that something special is going on. And, and so even in English, we recognize it's poetry. We'll have a lot more of it before we're done with reading the Old Testament. Um, now, in this chapter, he covers all 12 sons. And he starts with the oldest, Reuben. And Reuben should get the blessing because he's the oldest, but why doesn't he? Yeah. Committed adultery with her. Simeon and Levi are next. Why don't they get it? That, that terrible vengeance they took on the people of Shechem. Yes. And so he says, I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And we'll see later where that comes to pass uh, when they go into the land. Judah, he has a lot to say about Judah. Judah, your brother shall praise you. I think the word Judah means praise. So he's making a play on his name. And he says in verse 9, Judah is a lion's whelp. What's a whelp? 
yeah, it's, it's a little, it's kind of a young lion. And um, he, he in, in verse 9, he compares him with three kinds of lions. A, 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 a young lion, maybe a year old or so, a, a father lion, you know, the, the king, and the mother lion in, at the end of verse 10 as a lion who dares rouse him up because there he's picturing him as being a lioness with her cubs and you know who would dare rouse a lioness with her cubs there. So in three different ways he's comparing him to this lion, the king of beasts, to say you know he's going to be the ruler. Where do we read about someone who's from the tribe of Judah who's called a lion? Yeah, in the book of Revelation, that's where it is. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And that, that, this is where it comes from. And he says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the root of the staff between his feet until Shiloh comes. I think he's talking about Jesus there. Um, he's going to be the ruler up until the Messiah. Um, well, the rest, of the, the rest of the chapter is not overly interesting. and he, he makes prophecies for each of the sons. Some of them I don't really understand how they were fulfilled, but... Some of them is more obvious. And finally, at the end of it all, what does Jacob do? He dies. <laughs> yeah. And just almost on cue. Yeah, Tracy. Why is, why is Benjamin's um, blessing not so good? Well, Jacob is predicting what's going to happen to the tribes. And if you look later at what happened to Benjamin, it was not a very good tribe. They did some very terrible things. And they only had one king from it, and that was King Saul, and he was pretty bad. So, yeah. But if you'd ask me other other ones, I might not even be able to answer it at all. But that's what I think about the Benjamin one. So they have to embalm Jacob and take him back, and they bury him where? Yeah. What do we call that place? Yeah. The field in the cave of Machpelah, the one that Abraham had bought after Sarah died. And so um, they have a big, huge number of Egyptians because Joseph was so high in the, in the nation. and They have quite a state funeral for him. <clears throat> and then we again have a little bit of a discussion with the brothers thinking, well, now that our dad's dead, Joseph's going to get us back. And he again has to tell them, no, God is the one that did this not you. And um, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And so then we, we jump forward many, many years till, Jacob, till Joseph dies at the age of what? 110. Which is, I don't know, something like 50, 50 years after his father died. It's a long time. How come they didn't Joseph died? Him. And bury him. And bury him. It, it, well, the Bible doesn't say, but it may be because he was so such a high Egyptian official that it would not have been appropriate for them to take and bury him in some backwater place like Canaan. Um, they they may have actually made made some kind of a you know a, a monument for him or something. I don't know that they just. No, no, no. I mean, they might have made a monument in Egypt for him. You know, I'm not sure that they left his body, you know, just in someone's garage, you know, waiting around. They might have had, you know, um, but I, I don't. Uh, he was. I don't think that people had a choice. You can't just take the body of 
of, of, the top, of one of the top guys in Egypt and just say, hey, we're going to go bury him off in Canaan. I don't think they could do that. So that's just a guess. Any questions on this part of Genesis? Um, I want to talk a little bit about next week's reading. We're doing 11 chapters of Exodus. It's going to cover through the ninth plague. Uh, and there's a big change that takes place that you want to you want to notice between Genesis and, and Exodus. You see, in Genesis we've been dealing with a family. All the stories have to do with this family as God separates this family for Himself. And there's no more family stuff in, in Exodus. I mean, you get a, you know you certainly get some human interest stories and all that, but it's really the story of a nation in Exodus. And although you know Moses figures pretty high, Moses is not an ancestor of Jesus. He's from the wrong tribe. He figures highly because he's going to lead the nation out of Egypt. And so from Exodus on, it's really a story of a nation. And and we start Exodus with the people being in slavery, and they're not a nation at all. And we end up at the end of the of the book, they're a separate people, independent with their own law, and they really are a nation. So that's the that's the point of Exodus. <coughs> Tracy. Getting back to Joseph, I'm sorry, but where did they bury Joseph once they brought him out of Egypt? Um, they buried him in a piece of property that, that Jacob had bought at Shechem. You remember the place where the brothers, you know, murdered everybody? That's where he got buried. Um, up there, and because apparently, well, in fact, not apparently. I think the Bible says Jacob had bought some property there. And that's where he ended up being buried. And that was actually um, one one of his sons. Their tribes was in that area, so he he was buried in his own tribal area. Yeah, so good. Well, I appreciate everyone's help. We'll start Exodus next week. Can't where, where in Genesis does that say what chapter? I'll find it for you just in a minute. I just have to look back and see Actually, where. Actually, that's an exodus. Well, no, no. I mean, we're, we're, oh no, if you want to know where they're buried, you have to go all the way to look at Judges. No, no, Joshua.